Welcome to Real Life Podcast Conversations from Life Four Square Church. We invite you to dive deeper into the more difficult topics of faith. Have you struggled to find understanding in biblical topics not often taught about from the pulpit? We may not have all the answers, but we are committed to the ongoing conversation as we search God's Word together. Mark and Lynn Cooper are your hosts. We are local pastors, and this show is our attempt to answer questions in greater depth than a sermon would allow. We look forward to the dialogue and conversations your questions will bring. You can email us at reallifeatvisitlife.org. This podcast will cover many biblical topics, some fun, some serious, and some will simply pique your interest. This podcast is sponsored by Life Foursquare Church, and it's pushed by Austin Hemmen and Lauren Johnston. Today is week two of our political topic of podcast. Yeah, I feel like we should come up with a, a name for yeah. it. it. We're really just talking politics, and we're talking faith and religion and how those two intermingle. Today, we're going to talk about three words that you've probably heard quite a bit over the last several months, uh, patriotism, nationalism, and triumphalism. What are these three words producing, and what do they mean in context of today and our political climate? So, you know, as we talk about these concepts and ideas, one of the things that we consistently want to come back to is, do are these Christ-like? Do we see these things echoing a heart that is of the Lord? Like, are they righteous? Are they good? Are they... Are they detrimental to other people? Are they hurtful or harmful? And so when we talk politics, um, we, I, I find it healthy and, and good to allow our faith to drive all things in our life, right? And so that, that, that primary pursuit of our life is to walk with Jesus and it will determine our patriotism. It will determine the other aspects of how we engage this world, our nation, our government, our politics, all of that stuff, our finances. And so three words, patriotism is maybe the word we start with. And so what is what is patriotism, Lynn? What does it mean? Right. It means a love or devotion for one's country. And I think being Americans, there's great pride in being an American. We are blessed. We are privileged. We are wealthy. We are so many things simply because of of the nation that we live in. And so I think you'd be hard-pressed to not find a patriot in every home of America. It seems or feels as if a patriot is an American word. Like, we came up with it, right? And um, We didn't? No, we didn't. Sorry. Uh, to, to be a patriot, you think of, um, you know, George Washington, and you think of... Um, the colonial army and all the patriots that showed up and you think of Bunker Hill and you think of all these different things. As I think we, of the movie with Mel Gibson. Yeah, of course. Okay. So that's exactly it. You have, you have these 13 colonies and they're working together, raising militias and they're fighting the British, this, this huge empire that seeks to subject it. And, um, and so this idea of patriotism uh, and being a patriot is not wholly American. Now, now we have identified certain attributes or qualities with what it means to be a patriot. A patriot is someone who fights for their country. A patriot is someone who believes in their country. A patriot is someone who, who honors the flag and, and does all these things. Honor is a big word there. And, 
and duty and um, allegiance. You know, these are all things that we attribute mm-hmm. or think of when we think of patriotism. There's nothing innately backward or wrong or hurtful about a patriotic perspective. So would you say that you are a patriot? Yeah, absolutely. I would. I would say that I'm patriotic as, as in my celebration of our country. I also would say that I'm a patriot. Now, listen, I have never fought for my country. I'm not a veteran. I'm not in the military. I've never been in the military, but I consider myself to be a patriot. It, it, it's not that you have to have fought for your country to be a patriot. So the next question I would ask is, are you a patriot more so than you are a Christian? That's a really great question. Um, and I think we get these lines confused sometimes. No, I'm not. I'm not a patriot. That, that really, you boil that question down and it comes to this. Do I love God more or do I love my country more? Um, you know, we, we, we have within our culture ways and means for people who when service or when things that their country is asking them to do uh, conflict with their religious perspective, they have the right to, to, to remove themselves from that, to not participate in those things. I think we have to be people who are Christian Americans, not American Christians. We have to be people who put the cart in the right place. We don't allow the cart to get ahead of the horse. We keep the horse in front of the cart and we, we make sure that our loyalties, and that's really what you're talking about when you talk about patriotism, your loyalties are first and foremost to the Father, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and to his will in your life. So being a patriot, or if you will, patriotism, is a healthy thing in the right uh, facet, in the, in the right place or priority in our life. It's extremely healthy. And it's really a beautiful thing because I think what you find in being a Christian patriot is a gratitude to our Lord for the country in which he has blessed us with. Yeah. And and even more so a, a love for God our Father and, and then secondly for our nation. Um, so how would you say the difference between being a a patriot and a nationalist or if you will, the difference between patriotism and nationalism? That's a good question, and I I cannot wait to answer that. I want to say one thing real quick, and that is that within our system right now, you have people who are polar opposites politically. Mm -hmm. You have have people who are ultra-conservative, and you have people who are ultra-liberal in the way they see government functioning within America. And in those groups that are polar opposites, guess what you have? Mm-hmm. You have patriots in both of mm-hmm. them. You have people who who are proud of their country, are loyal to their country, and love their country. They just have very different perspectives on how the Correct. governance of the country should go. But they are patriots. And so when we talk about the difference between patriotism and nationalism, the real difference, they both encompass within themselves a pride or a thankfulness, a consciousness of of their country, uh, of their loyalty to their country. The difference is this, that nationalism carries within it 
the 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 raising of its own nation and the decreasing of every other nation. It, it's it, see, patriotism can say, um, "I love my country," and it's okay if you love your country. We can be equals in that. You go ahead and love France. I'll love America, and we can both be patriots to our nations. But nationalism says, my country's greater than yours. My country is the best country. And I'm going to, I'm going to push for my country to succeed. And the only way for that to really happen is if yours does not. And so it's a raising up. It's a setting up, um, an, an emphasizing or a promotion of one nation or culture and the interests of that nation or culture in opposition to every other nation or culture. Right. It's a superiority um, complex, if you will. It, yeah, it, absolutely. It, um, mine is better than yours. It's kind of that grade school. My dad is bigger than your dad. My dad is tougher than your dad. And really, it can produce some very... Um, Horrible things. Divisive things, things yeah. really. And here are some synonyms for the word nationalism, which I think will just um, help our point here. But chauvinism, I mean, no one really would want to be known as that. Chauvinistic, right? yeah. My gender. See, that's a that's yes. a my gender is better than your gender. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, let, let me tell you, racism. Is a synonym yes. for nationalism. It's a, it's a my my race, my ethnicity is better than yours. You're somehow less than me, um, simply based off of your race, mm-hmm. your biology, your your race. And so, you know, super patriotism. These this idea that that I am God. We we as a country are God's gift to the rest of the world. That everybody in the world ought to be like us. Um, and seek to be us. It's it's ridiculousness, mm-hmm. and it it is really quite contrary to the character we see of God and in, in His Word. We see that God has chosen people, the Jews. He's referred to as His chosen people, but when it comes to those that are outside of that, God loves equally. He doesn't love America more than he loves um, Iraq, Canada. Canada, Ethiopia, any other country in the world. We, we know that God doesn't do that. So why would it be appropriate for us to operate in that way? But part of nationalism, it, there's, there's a couple things that happen when we take on a nationalistic perspective. The first is we misunderstand... Uh, we recognize blessing, but we misunderstand the purpose of the blessing, mm-hmm. right? Somehow we think the blessing is just because we're good and we deserve it, or the blessing is for us. And so we enjoy it rather than sharing it. Quite possibly, I think what could have happened in America is that we feel we deserved that blessing. Well, yeah, we fought for it. That's the, that's the sentiment. That's the idea. And that is where we can begin to see some inappropriate um, understanding of of righteousness that I have done something to deserve this and earn it, yeah. And so it's a way we misinterpret blessing. Let me tell you, blessing it, it benefits you, but it's not for you, 
right? It's it's to be it's to be spread out. It's to go and bless others. Blessing is always something that works through you. It's not for you. We don't hoard it up. Nationalism says we're going to hoard it up. We're going to we're going to secure ourselves. We're going to strengthen ourselves at the detriment to every other nation or every other people group. And so it's an improper way of seeing it. The, the, that's the first thing that happens is really we misunderstand the purpose of the blessing. And the second thing is we find some pride or some security in the strength. Mm-hmm. And you see this in the Old Testament. You see this happen before Israel. Um, it's, it's, it's actually a split kingdom at that point. But before they enter into exile, there are some key moments where their nationalism, their, their rejoicing and, and um, so s- solid and solidified in the idea that they are God's chosen people. They take nationalistic pride in that so much to the place where they stop hearing God speak to them. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they're unable to hear that, re, that rebuke and that repentance, that call of repentance from the Lord. There's a king of Assyria who comes to the doorstep and he besieges Jerusalem and he um, is going to take him captive. And, and they're confident, the nation of Israel is confident that their God will rescue them. I believe the king's name was Ashurbanipal. I could be wrong, so don't quote me on that. But the Assyrian king says to them in rebuttal, he says, you think your God's going to save? Who do you think sent me here? Who do you think told me to come and conquer you? And he was absolutely right. The Lord had called him to go there. What it does, nationalism blinds us. It blinds mm-hmm. us from all that God mm-hmm. wants to do within the world, all that God is wanting to do mm-hmm. within the lives of people throughout the world. Right. It, it can blind us to think that our nation is the center of it all, that it is what God is working around or moving from. And it, it is such a lie uh, because that isn't, that's not far from the thinking that God needs me yeah. to, to do or produce. And that's exactly it. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that statement. God needs America to, to, to show up. God needs America to stand up. God needs America to return to its Christian roots. God needs, let me tell you right now, God doesn't need anything. The concern in, in that, that God needs anything but much less our country would lead me to to this question. Is that a God worth serving and a God giving my life to if he needs me to accomplish his will? It certainly doesn't line up with what scripture has told us about God. All-powerful, omnipresent, all-knowing, eternal, right? Uh, this this is a flawed thought, but yet we fall into it when we think this way. Now, granted, we're talking a lot about, we're talking primarily about these three words, patriotism, nationalism, and triumphalism. How does that play into the political scope and, and landscape, right? And, and I thought we were having a conversation about politics, uh, Mark and Lynn, and so why are we talking? These three words shape, they're the framework of the way we mm-hmm. see politics. Yes. They, they, they help us draw our conclusions about government and about the way that 
our country should be led and the way that people flourish or fail to flourish within our country. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have really had this study of the word triumphalism and, and I've come to the conclusion again, this is Lynn, not a biblical place, but Christians that have nationalism, I believe produce what I w- would refer to as triumphalism, at least the type of triumphalism we're going to talk about today. And the definition of triumphalism is an attitude or feeling of victory or superiority, such as the attitude of one religious creed or superior to all others, a smug and boastful, prideful in its success or dominance of one's nation or ideology over others. Again, let's see how this word is one that prefers self to others, which we can just say right now, I believe is not God's character. And I believe I would use the strong word, but I'm more black and white. I would say it's anti-gospel, in fact, that it not only doesn't line up with the gospel, but that it works against the gospel. And so I I have a strong um, hesitancy when it comes to triumphalism. In fact, I I kind of want to run when I see it taking place. It's yeah. it's not my favorite, but we have this idea sometimes as a Christian that everywhere I step foot, then I have victory. Now, I'm not going into a place that isn't scriptural. What we have to recognize is is are you in kingdom? Or are you in earth? Are are you where is the and are those passages speaking? And we we can't misinterpret nor use them when we want to to make them fit. Yeah, the victory that Christ speaks of, and we do have victory in Jesus, mm-hmm. and and Jesus has secured the victory for us. That doesn't that doesn't speak to every aspect of life. Jesus warns us, and He tells us tribulations, trials, persecutions are going to mm-hmm. happen. They're going to happen. They're part of our life as believers in Christ. The victory, victory is the eternal hope yes, very good. and victory of our life, which is heaven and an everlasting hope with Jesus. Eternal life. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life is the final victory. It's victory over death. It's victory over death. Mm-hmm. And that death isn't necessarily only... I mean, it, listen, if Jesus was speaking to the victory over physical death, then no Christian would ever die. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the truth, some Christians won't die because Jesus will come back before they die, even though they must put on immortality. This, Paul says it clearly, this, this, this immortal must put on immortality. This corrupt must put on incorruption. And so we don't know what will be, but we'll be like him. And, and, and most, not, I don't know if I want to say most, many are going to experience physical death. The victory we have is that that's not the final word. We're not subject to the grave because Christ has conquered grave. And so we receive that gift of eternal life, which is the gift of Christ, which is that victory. Paul says it plainly and clearly. I want to stay focused, solely focused on Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. This is the victory that we have. And so we stay there. Now, this nationalism and this triumphalism, this triumphalism, it, 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 it works in us, this aspect of victory or superiority. I want to read right now a quote from a, a book called Majesty, God Enthroned in Our Worship. And this is a book that Jack Hayford wrote. And so we are fond of Jack Hayford. He's Foursquare. 
and we are very familiar, but he's also a world-renowned author and worship leader, and so many of you would recognize his name, but he says this in his book, I do not believe in triumphalism, that pretend world of religious idealists who suppose that a band of super saints will rise to take the earth by force and dominate society through supernatural power or political control. However, there is a kingdom to take, and there is a force to exert, and the people of the highest are the ones to do both. Mm. This, this says it all for me, and I would say I'm, I align very closely to this, that there is a kingdom at hand, and the eternal kingdom is the kingdom that God is, is always in reference to always wanting us to keep our eyes fixed to, as he is the author and perfecter. And we can so lose sight easily of his intent and his purpose and our role and partnership in his plan. You know, and so we come back, this this quote is insane. It's it's so good. And what it speaks to is is really where are our eyes fixed? We, it, I don't, I don't have to tell you, you live in the same world I live in. You can see the, the uber focus we have on the future of America. I mean, it's, it's permeated every aspect of our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's as if everything rides on how America turns out. Well, mm-hmm. it doesn't. I got to tell you, it just doesn't. And I, I don't, I hope America does really well and I want to do my part in helping it do really well. And I want it to be a, a place that honors God and people are free and, and all those good things about it are still true. But my hope is not placed in America. My hope is placed in Christ. Yeah. And one of the things that I've connected in, in reading James and, I would encourage you, as we've encouraged in other podcasts, to become a Bible reader. And James is a fantastic book. I believe James is a book that every believer should read on a continual basis. It, it really defines for us Christian discipline. And, and I'm going to read out of James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the clothes, the the fine clothes, and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you must stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Okay, so, so favoritism... In, in reading James has really connected and and to me is the the root of triumphalism the sure. root of of nationalism it is a place of favoritism and and I'll tell you why that connects is because it's a preference of self and those that are like me and it disregards those that are different from me and that is so far from the heart and character of God. Yeah. And then we go on in, in James chapter 2, and it says in verse 8, If you really 
keep the royal law found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Mm. Moving on to verse 12, it says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Listen to this. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Yeah, amen. That's so good. And I love what you did there. Okay, so listen, you uh, read us some scripture from James. And in that scripture, James references Christ in a moment Christ had with some Pharisees. And, and, and Jesus was questioned about who his neighbor was when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus tells this story, this parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan is a, a list of a, a, a priest, a Levite, uh, a Pharisee, I'm sorry, a teacher of the law, a Levite who is a priest, and then a Samaritan man. And all three of those men come across a person who was robbed, beaten, and left to die on the side of the road. And the two Jews, the two righteous people, they cross over and they leave him. They, they, they try to get as far away from him as possible. But it's the Samaritan who goes and deals with this man and shows him grace, shows him compassion, shows him love, and even goes out of his way to care for this guy. The uh, sentiment that the average Jew at the time of Christ had towards a Samaritan was this. It was absolute triumphalism. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't just simply patriotism. It wasn't just simply nationalism. It was, I am better than you in every way. I, I am better than you. And, and I won't even associate with you. As a matter of fact, Jesus battled this and bumped up against this multiple times in his ministry, from the woman at the well to, to constantly uh, coming into uh, conversations with the Pharisees about righteousness and the way that the favor of God works with people. And uh, his overwhelming response was always this. That, that, that there is no place in the kingdom of God for this kind of attitude that would separate us into categories of better than or more than. Mm-hmm. But that we have to see every individual and every person, no matter their nation, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their color, no matter their language, mm-hmm. no matter their, their financial position in life, can I add, no matter their walk with the Lord and struggles that they might have or or hurdles that they find in their walk with the Lord, the Lord doesn't love yeah. us more or less determined by what we do or don't do for him. His yeah. love is not conditional. And we have trouble understanding that and knowing what that means. That is true. His love is unconditional. His will is that none should perish, but all be saved. Right. Now his salvation, his salvation, that is conditional. Mm-hmm. It's conditional upon belief and profession That's right. to profess that belief in him. Um, and so what we see is that if we want to, if our aim is to align our, our political stance, our p- political lives, uh, both of ourselves, like for, for myself, but also for our nation, 
our, our city, our state, our country, if we want to see those alignments happen, we have to start thinking um, not about politics mm-hmm. alone, but about Christ, about faith, about, you know, it's even if I disagree with you, if I can look at you and see what God sees, there's no way that I'm going to be able to not love you. There's no way that I'm not going to have compassion for you or grace for you. Uh, there's no way that we, we And if can't... we don't agree, and in fact, even if we have a dispute, right? We, we, see, we see this often with Peter and Paul. Yet they were both anointed to go their own ways. But even in those moments where I don't agree or great pain or I've even been hurt, could I say, could I look at the scripture and say, mercy triumphs over judgment? Mm. Could I not ask the Lord for a place of mercy? Lord, give me your mercy that I may not find myself in judgment. Can he do that for us? And he can. Absolutely. He he has. Right. And what he's asking is that we would line up with that. Right. And so. Thank you for joining us. We would love to hear your thoughts about today's topic. You can send us an email at reallife at visitlife.org to give us your feedback. Real Life is a weekly podcast ministry of Life Four Square Church in Decatur, Illinois. We hope you have a great week and look forward to continuing our conversation next time.